I am talking today with Anna Williams, and Anna is a graduating senior from Bowdoin who's minoring in teaching mm -hmm. and majoring in sociology, and she's a member of Peer Health, and mm -hmm. maybe she'll explain to us what Peer Health yeah. is, <laughs> um, and next year she's going on to teach elementary school in a private school. And um, she's also been my fabulous research <laughs> assistant um, at times for my um, project where I had been interviewing teachers who have moral concerns about their work. Mm -hmm. And I kind of am excited that you're still going into teaching even after you yeah. heard all of those. Despite the, <laughs> the narratives. Yes. Um, and... Um, the one other thing is that we're in my backyard mm -hmm. on this beautiful spring day in Portland. And so you may hear birds or seagulls or neighbors, and yeah. those are just things that are happening today. Mm -hmm. And it's not worth going inside to do this <laughs> for recording. Um, so I am going to ask you the three questions mm -hmm. that I ask um, all of the students I'm speaking with. The first one is going to be, what's most important to you. Mm -hmm. The second is, what does a liberal arts education mean to you? Mm -hmm. And the third is, what do, your professor, what do you wish your professors knew about you? Mm -hmm. And so I will make sure we get to all of those questions, um, mm -hmm. and I'll take us on all kinds of detours along the way, so okay. don't worry about being responsible for those yourself. Okay. <laughs> but let's start with what's most important to you. Yeah, so I think right now in my life, what's most important to me has really been um, like the different social networks and supports that I've gotten um, through both my family and my friends, but also at Bowdoin. Um, you know, I've spent, I think, the past four years really developing very strong supports at school. Um, and then I know, obviously, like in coming years, like my network is going to be really important in tapping into for job opportunities um, and also like just in supporting myself as I'm in this sort of strange transitional time yeah. in life. Um, How yeah. did, did you go into Bowdoin having a sense of, oh, one, an important thing to do is to develop social, you know, uh, both social and support networks. Is, <laughs> like, is that just something that you think about mm -hmm. as a person of your age at this time? Or is that something your family brought mm -hmm. you to mm -hmm. think about, you know, taught you to think about? Or is that something that um, you realize you needed? Yeah. Um, yeah. How did you get I, to that point of saying, like, these are something, that's something that's worth developing yeah. and having? Yeah, I think I um, definitely came into Bowdoin knowing that that would be important to me. Um, I, I attended a boarding school before Bowdoin. Mm. And in my boarding school, I had really strong relationships with my teachers um, and different sort of like mentors in that institution. And so coming into Bowdoin, I didn't know how necessarily I would have access to that because I didn't, mm. you know, through professors or I didn't really know who those people would be. But I knew like socially it would be really important for me to have strong networks among my peers and then like tap into whatever like resources I could find. And I've always kind of been the type of person who's like knows how to advocate for myself and knows, okay, I need someone, I need some support here and mm -hmm. how to look for those resources um, has been really important to me. Yeah. What is a component of your um, support network at Bowdoin that surprised you that you didn't mm -hmm. think would be a, yeah. piece, a piece of your network? Um, well, I think that 
Well, a couple things. <laughs> um, as you know, when I was a first year, I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, um, which played a pretty big role in my experience of Bowdoin as a first year and a sophomore and continuing to. So the health center actually has played a huge role um, in supporting me. Every week I get a shot with a woman named Wendy in the health <laughs> center and she's been awesome and they've like really worked with my parents to figure out what's going to work for me and help me with this medicine and all of that kind of stuff. And I saw a nutritionist and um, so tapping into that as a resource has been really helpful. Um, and then also in joining Pure Health um, Whitney Hogan, who runs Pure Health, um, has been, a hu and she does, she's in Res Life now, um, but she has been really helpful too, and just being a uh, resource for students in, um, through Pure Health, but then also outside of Pure Health, we've like been able to develop a close relationship. So what is, so did you gravitate towards Pure Health after you had your own health challenges? Yeah, yeah, I, um, so when I was a sophomore, after I applied like the spring of my sophomore year. Um, so I've been on Pure Health for junior and senior year. And definitely having my own health issues um, played a role in making me want to apply. Um, but I also felt like a lot of my peers, my friends, were going through things like with mental health um, and um, you know sexual harassment, sexual assault, that kind of stuff, that I felt like, okay, there's a lot going on like in my life and in my friend's life, and I feel like I need to know how to talk about this and how to like help someone in a really concrete way, not just sort of in being like a friend who you can talk to, but like actually tapping into resources through Bowdoin. Um, and I saw Pure Health as a really good outlet for that because there it's this group of students who want that too and want to figure out how to be like a leader on campus, be someone a, a resource on campus too. So what does peer what do you, what does peer health as a group do and then uh -huh. what do individual members do? Yeah. Um so so there's 30 of us, sophomores, juniors and seniors. Um and it's like you apply for the position and you um so we cover peer health is kind of like a big term for all health issues. So it's like alcohol and drug abuse uh, or an awareness, um sexual health, mental health, um helping students understand what different resources there are on campus. Um, I'm trying to think about it, like disordered eating and eating mm, disorders. Mm -hmm. And so that we kind of cover all of these, this big range of topics. And then we're in subcommittees focused on one specific area. Um, and then, so then we do programming throughout the year on that area, like in that sort of topic. And then we also do uh, um, a program in the fall called Peer to Peer, which is we're paired with a first year floor. So I have like one first year mm. floor and you meet with every first year student and have um, like a 30 minute conversation. They train us in what's called motivational interviewing, which is like when you, you learn how to help someone sort of come to understandings on their own through like asking open-ended questions um, and like a whole series of like different skills around mm -hmm. this type of conversation. And then you do that with every single first year um, on your floor and it's about, like, generally about alcohol and drug use, but yeah. also just, like, transitioning into Bowdoin because mm -hmm. um, you meet, like, in around November. Um, so that's kind of, like, what I've done, like, like different programming, but then also um, this big peer health, or, sorry, peer-to-peer -peer program, and then different, like, learning mm -hmm. how to, like, facilitate conversations. And we meet with all sort of, like, the major resources on campus, like, we meet with the um, Women's Resource Center. We meet with ben Benji Douglas, who does all of the like Title IX 
um, sexual assault stuff. Um, we meet with the health center. We meet with different deans. Like, we kind of have been tapped into this network of resources mm. that vote into. And so do those become resources for you in the oh, in, yeah. you know, in the process of learning how to direct other students to those resources? Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, I feel like I've, you know, even if I don't have, like, a personal relationship with MG Douglas, like, I know what he does. I know who he is as a person. Like, I can feel comfortable um, you know, mm. putting him, putting him in touch with another student. Like I can, you know what I mean? Like, I just feel like I understand who these people right. are now and how to access them myself as a resource. Um, which is, has been so helpful and nice to have that. I feel really mm. lucky that I've been able to sort of tap into this and, and to help like first years too, who wouldn't know. I mean, I didn't know about any of these people until I was a sophomore. Right. So. What do you think is the biggest challenge facing a first year coming into Bowdoin mm. from a pure health perspective? Mm. Um, oh gosh. I think that one of the biggest challenges is for a first year is just... Did like, I say fresh? For, did I say freshman first or first year? Oh, well, it I know what you're talking about. Did I say freshman? No, you said first year. I did? Oh, okay. Yeah. Good. <laughs> you I, used I'm, the term right. I'm, I'm committed to using the term first year, but then I suddenly... I know, was... that and college houses are the two things that I'm right. like, okay, these are the terms I need right. to use. Right. Um, but anyways, I think the biggest challenge might be adjusting socially. So I think that can include a lot of different sort of sub issues within that mm -hmm. because, you know, there's exposure to alcohol that a first year might not have had. Um, there's exposure to like difference. So, you know, maybe they're interacting with people of like different classes or different races or genders or whatever that they haven't experienced in their home lives. And like just sort of learning I don't know, like being able to navigate what you know from your home life and your home sort of experiences in high school with like the culture at Bowdoin, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So like being able to sort of figure out how do I, how do I adjust to this place without needing to like give up something from my home life? Um, or like, you know, feel like you're, yeah, like compromising that. And mm -hmm. I think in that there's a lot of like identity, um, questions of identity that come into that too. And then also, of course, like the social scene at Bowdoin, like navigating alcohol and, you know, the hookup culture and all that sort of like figuring all that stuff out too plays a huge role. Um, yeah, I, I think that's, that's definitely something like a topic that would frequently come up in my conversations with first years, um, through my junior, through doing this program, my junior and senior year. And also like, I, of course I see you know, I, I can mm -hmm. relate to different experiences right. that they're going through, and we're not supposed to, like, bring in our own personal experiences that much mm -hmm. when we're having these conversations, but I want to be like, I know, I was there, I get yes. it. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So you're the first person I've interviewed so far that has used the phrase Bowdoin's hookup culture. Oh, boy. <laughs> I'm going to become the, the voice. So, so you know, and so you don't need to be the voice of experience okay. either. Okay. You're going to be the voice of, can you define what that means? Like okay. What do you mean or what do other people uh -huh, mean uh -huh. when they say Bowdoin's hookup culture? Okay. Um, I guess I when I use that expression for myself, I kind of mean like, 
an experience, a sexual I, experience. With just so you know, Anna has now turned three shades of red. And she did not see this one coming. That's okay. okay. I can do this. Okay. Um, yeah, so I guess like a, a sexual experience with another student mm -hmm. on campus. And for me, that doesn't necessarily need to be like sex. Like it could just be, you know, making out with someone at a yep. party or whatever. Like I think there's a whole range of experiences within that which I also think can be confusing for first-year students because oh. when they hear the term hooking up they might have certain ideas about what you know that looks like and that can be kind of confusing to navigate as well yes. um, so do you think most people when they say Bowdoin's hookup scene or Bowdoin's hookup mm -hmm. culture do you think they mean a whole range of um, sexual behaviors or do yeah. you think that they mean like having sex having sex no, I think most people mean a range of sexual That's experiences. interesting. I would have never, I would have, I think I always yeah. assumed that it meant. Like, yeah, having sex. Having someone. sex. Yeah, I think that can, I think that is like a misconception among, like, older generations, too. <laughs> Not so much older, but slightly older. Because <laughs> I don't, I feel like that is, I don't know, I think there's, that's confusing, but at least for myself, Maybe I'm misspeaking nope. for my generation yep. here, but I I think of it as, like, a range of experiences. I don't yep. think of, like, okay, like, I hear, oh, these two people hooked up. I'm not going to just naturally assume, like, oh, that means they had sex, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, so what's the, you know, so I hear a lot of people talk about dissatisfaction with Bowdoin's yeah. hookup culture. So now that I understand that it does yeah. not mean just sex, but that there's... <laughs> Uh, range of behaviors mm -hmm. within that, but then mm -hmm. I still hear sort of this dissatisfaction yeah. around that. So what is that? Yeah. Where do you think that comes from? I think, I don't know. I mean, I can only speak from my own experience, <laughs> um, but, and I, I mean, I can only speak really from like a heterosexual mm -hmm. um, standpoint too, because that's, you know, I am heterosexual, so I don't know, but um, I feel like sometimes there, it's hard to develop, like, a, a relationship at Bowdoin sometimes with, like, a meaning, like, beyond just, like, oh, we met at a party and we went home together or whatever, you know, and, and whatever that might look like, mm -hmm. then really take that, like, into the weekday, like, okay, we're gonna actually get a meal and sit down and, like, talk to each other and not pretend that this experience just didn't happen, you know, so mm -hmm. there's sort of, like, this, I don't know, I kind of think of it as, like, immaturity around mm. hooking up where it's like well you know and if you do if you do like s sort of start trying to ask someone to get a meal or bring it into like a sober space or whatever your relationship into a sober space it can look like oh they're trying to date me and I don't want something serious and you know that's I think that's sort of dissatisfaction around like figuring out how to be a little bit more adult about something than just like okay well we're never going to speak again, even though, like, we had this very intimate, you know what I mean? Yeah. Experience. Um, I don't know if that's, like, in keeping in things that you've heard yeah, definitely. around dissatisfaction. De yeah. Definitely. And de I think that you phrased that really well of what does it mean to take this into the, into the week, into the yeah, week. Yeah, right, um, right. And, like, there's a... And take it into a sober space. Both yeah. Of, both of those things combined. Yeah, yeah. Because it's a lot easier to be really forward with someone when, you know, there's alcohol involved and you're in, like, a dark party space. Right. And then to actually, like, get to know someone is different. And I don't think, like, there needs to be an assumption that you're trying to date someone if you're 
trying to have a conversation with them, you know what I mean? So <laughs> Right. That's I think that's the other piece I've heard students talk about yeah. is the, you know, we're either you know, hooking up and not talking about what's going on, but mm -hmm. ha but engaging in these you know behaviors, this yeah. range of behaviors together. Yeah. Um or like we are somehow now engaged and yeah like we're and, in a serious relationship yep. and yeah um yeah. and that there there hasn't been a lot of space for yeah something yeah. in between and yeah. maybe even the ambiguity of like yeah. let's just talk and see what right. happens and right and I also think Bowdoin is I mean it's such a small campus that uh, I feel like having other people really aware of what you're doing can contribute to, you know, like the gossip and that mm -hmm. kind of creating this culture around like, oh, well, if you see these people getting a meal in the dining hall, does that mean, you know what I mean? Like there's these mm -hmm. other, it's not just between you and that person. There are other kind of like you're in this bubble too. So you yes. have to take that into consideration too. That makes sense. Um, but yeah. You'd um, mentioned that one of the things you saw or experience, not, not necessarily for you, mm -hmm. um, but that your friends had talked about um, sexual harassment mm -hmm. and sexual mm -hmm. assault. Yeah. And I'm curious what your perspective is on that in mm -hmm. terms of Bowdoin. And yeah, I think coming into Bowdoin, I thought that I, you know, you think of sexual harassment, or sorry, sexual assault as like, woman walking down a dark alley gets jumped by something, you know what I mean? And that is not, I mean, that might not necessarily be what sexual assault looks like on Bowdoin's campus, but that doesn't mean that it's not happening. Um, like, there's, I have come to know that the statistic that one in four college-age college women is going to be sexually, um, sexually assaulted is very true at Bowdoin. Um, you know, I can think of, like, eight friends in a group of eight friends I can think of two people who have had sexual experiences that they weren't comfortable with um my, my girlfriends that is mm -hmm. and uh, yeah I mean I think it's something that has become talked about more on campus since I've been at Bowdoin or at least or maybe mm -hmm. I've just been engaging in dialogue more but I think it's taken some bad experiences for us to get there if that makes sense yes um and I mean, there are definitely lots of support at Bowdoin around that, too. Um, there's definitely, like, people who are there to help and to talk to. But it's, I don't know, I get frustrated when it becomes that person needs to do that in the aftermath. Do you know what I mean? Like, it wasn't mm. prevented to begin with. Um, and, I, and I do think people are working towards, like, figuring out how to you know, to use consent and like, what does that mean? And what does that look like? And how do we do that? You know, um, which is good and very productive, but yeah, it doesn't mean that sexual assault doesn't happen. Um, so yeah. yeah. Um, what aspects of your social or support network do you feel like you're taking with you mm -hmm. as you graduate yeah. <laughs> um well definitely my family mm -hmm. <laughs> is will always be um a huge social support I should say that both my sisters attended Bowdoin um and my dad so they know you know they understand um sort of the experience at Bowdoin very well and they understand they've now graduated and know what it's like to transition mm -hmm. into the real world and so they are very helpful um in terms of that 
And then I also think my friends, I'm going to definitely stay. Maybe I'm being nostalgic right now and looking at graduation in a week. But, um, but I, I think my friends, I'm going to have come away from Bowdoin with friends who I'll have for life. Um, and then hopefully um, in terms of like more adult figures on campus, I, I definitely see myself staying in touch with Whitney um, mm-hmm. and some different professors mm-hmm. as well. Um, so, yeah, I think I'll continue to use those supports as, I don't know, I think it's interesting when you're a college student how you and your peers are kind of all going through the same thing at the same time throughout college, and then you kind of go into the real world, and you all start doing different things, but you're all still kind of, like, at this sort of transitional age together, Mm -hmm. which is, um, I don't know, it's unique, and I, I think it gives you... It gives me a lot of support just to know that they're like my peers are going through similar things that I'm going through. Yeah. yeah. What was it like to go to a school that had um, this generational influence on your family, <laughs> right? That um, your father had gone to mm-hmm. school here and then mm-hmm. your two older sisters yeah. had gone to school here. And were all three of you in school at the same time at any point? Mm, um, no. My my oldest sister had graduated the year before I arrived. Okay. So I was there with my middle sister. Um, but she was actually abroad my first semester um, okay. when I was, you know, my, my fr- first year fall. So that was kind of nice because I wasn't at... Like, when I first arrived, there was no family there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I should say, my, my dad, you know, I feel like there are some families where it's, like, you know, Dartmouth or die, like, you have to go, like, there's all this pressure. But I, they definitely didn't, my dad definitely didn't pressure me into going to Bowdoin. Um, we all went to different boarding schools, too. So we never yeah. had, like, high school, com- common high school experiences. Um, which I think really influenced my decision because I, I definitely wanted to share this experience with my sisters. I wanted to be able hmm. to like have, I think it's just nice like to have this shared experience. And, um, and it's also really interesting talking to my oldest sister, just like about her experiences, seeing how Bowdoin has also changed too in right. her time since she's been there. And then obviously my dad, even more extreme right. changes. Um, so it's kind of nice. I don't know. It, it was it was really helpful too when I was a first year because it gave me more confidence too and just sort of feeling like okay like I you know I know where the dining hall is I know what like the social scene is in general or whatever mm-hmm. um, all of that kind of helped me transition and then my my middle sister um, has was incredibly supportive to me um, when I was a first year and a, and a sophomore too um, just in experiencing. Um, my going through this illness and then I also when I was a sophomore um my best friend from high school passed away um and she was super helpful um just in being there and she I mean that's sort of like the nature of her personality as well she's a she's a supporter (laughs) and I feel bad because I'm always like the emotional crazy one (laughs) she always gets pegged as the supporter but having them there was I mean incredibly helpful for me um, so yeah, I only see it as a positive, but I know that might not be the case for some for some people. Did you have any professors in common? Um, not really. We all so my oldest sister was a government major and a visual arts minor, and then my middle sister was um, an art history major and an Italian minor, and then I'm sociology and education. So we didn't really have 
any professors that we were like, like they, the professors they were closest to weren't really the professors I ended up being closest to. But my first year, my spring of my first year, my sister and I both got our um, like science requirement in the same, we took up the same science class together, <laughs> ecology and society. So that was really fun. And she's, she's very smart. So she helped me <laughs> in that class. But yeah, that was, that was kind of funny and unique. That's great. Um, yeah. And then my middle sister and I, we both worked um, in the art history library all four years. So we became really close with the boss of our art history library oh, too. Wow. That's probably the biggest person who we were like right. both mutually close with. Huh. Um, yeah, and then they had some overlap because they both did um, like art stuff. So right. they had some prof- they had more similar professors I think through that through the art world. But yeah, but it sounds like you were very much able to have your own experience. Yeah, both and that you didn't. Yeah, you weren't someone's sister. No, not really. I mean, I yeah, I feel like I didn't really. People would know like. More, more like my sister's friends would be like, oh, like, you know, little, like little Williams, like, you know, the third mm-hmm. sister or whatever, but not really among like professors mm-hmm. or, um, you know, like the, all the resources I was talking about. I don't think either of my sisters really took advantage of those resources as much mm-hmm. as I have. Um, so yeah, I think, yeah, I, I definitely feel like I've had my own experience at Bowdoin and we all have, I think, feel that way, so... That's pretty neat that three people who share so much genetic material can go through a small liberal arts Mm -hmm. college pretty close in time together and have three distinct experiences. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, of course, like there are probably more similarities in our experiences than someone who has a very different, Mm -hmm. you know, identity than us. But um, but yeah, it is it is Hmm. kind of interesting. I don't know. <laughs> what, um, so what does a liberal arts education mean to you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that one of the biggest things that Bowdoin has given me is um, the ability just to talk about difference um, and sort of talk about race and class differences in ways that I didn't really have in high school. Like, I... I I don't know. I actually, it's funny. I remember when I took your class as a first year, uh, we had to like go around and say um, some way that we were privileged. I think something along hmm. those lines. And I remember thinking like, well, I know I'm white, and I know that I come like I'm an I come from an affluent family, but I can't say that. Like I'm not gonna like mm. those are topics I should say. And so I think I I don't remember what I said, but like now being a senior and having taken a lot of classes in sociology, I feel like it's so important to recognize your privilege and it's not a bad thing to, mm-hmm. <laughs> to understand your privilege mm-hmm. or like a taboo subject. You should be able to talk about it because if you're like coming from a place of denial or you're not willing to engage in those conversations, then how can you ever kind of like come to understand someone else, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, um, or understand yourself, especially in relation to someone else. And, um, so yeah, I think that has been a huge thing that Bowdoin has given me. I'm really grateful of the fact that I'm a sociology major, um, you know, despite the jokes that I'll never get a job <laughs> because of it. I, you know, I think it's given me... You have a job. Yeah, I have a job. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I think it's given me sort of 
the vocabulary and the confidence to talk about difference in ways that I didn't have when I Mm. came into Bowdoin. And, I mean, as I said, I went to a boarding school, which was a very affluent white um, community, and diversity wasn't really discussed. We had, like, one diversity, you know, panel a day, Mm -hmm. a, a semester, and that... It, everyone fell asleep and it was sort of not you know people didn't look forward to that or treat or like conversation didn't really come out of that in a productive way um which is the opposite of what <laughs> it should have been you know and also I think when I was in high school I'd hear the word diversity and I'd only think about race and Bowdoin has made me think about diversity in a lot of different ways not just race um so what kind of ways has it made you think about Well, I think m- class has been a huge thing. Um, and, you know, being an education minor, like, seeing, too, how class and race are so interconnected. Um, and then also, like, being able-bodied or your gender, um, your sexuality. Like, all of these are different forms of diversity that I think don't, you know, in a, te- in a high school textbook don't really aren't really talked Mm -hmm. about. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. When you think about your closest friend group, Mm -hmm. would you describe it as diverse? Um, Probably not, to be honest. Um, I mean, not in the grand scheme of things. Mm -hmm. Like, there's differences between us, but they're pretty, you know, they're more, like, geographical or, like, slightly different classes. But... I wouldn't think of my closest friends as being, like, significantly different from me. Um, You know, we're all pretty much white and come from, like, middle-upper class backgrounds. Um, There's some diversity in sexuality, I'd say. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah. Do you think, so I'm going to ask you because you're a sociology major. (laughs) Okay. Um, What do you think accounts for that? Yeah, I've I've been thinking about this a lot, um, about Bowdoin, especially, like, given what's happened in the past year, just how I feel like spaces at Bowdoin become, or social groups become kind of integrated through space, and how, like, my closest friends are a product of who was, like, my first year roommate, and who I kind of became connected to through them, and I feel like I wish that I had engaged more in spaces that would have pushed me out of my comfort zone a little bit. Um, And I do think athletics plays a huge role in the way that sort of social dynamics um, play out at Bowdoin, Mm. too. Are you an athlete? No. (laughs) So so if you... So how how does Mm a Mm non-athlete slash NARP... Uh (laughs) uh, How does... How do athletics affect you in terms of your social... Yeah, I think especially... I think it's changed since as we've gotten older, but when we were, when I was a first year and a sophomore, like people stuck with their teams a lot in terms of making friends. Um, you know, my, my first year room was, they were all athletes. All of them were on a team except for me. And I've really only stayed close with one girl who, who quit her sport too. Mm. Um, from that. And I feel like it becomes, like, a very comfortable way to make friends. I mean, you spend so much, they spend so much time together. Mm-hmm. Like, of course, they're going to become friends. And then, you know, it's sophomore year, and it's like, where are we going to live? Like, what, who are my friends? I need to figure out who I'm living mm-hmm. with. And then it becomes, you know, it's natural that you would choose the people who you've spent so much time with on your team to live with your sophomore year. And then, you know, it kind of progresses from there. Like, social networks become yep. formed. 
And then I feel like it's hard as like a non-athlete to sort of like tap into that. Like it can Mm -hmm. be intimidating to, you know, how do I become friends with a group of athletes, you know what I mean? Who I don't spend time with and and they have this whole relationship Mm -hmm. unless something like, you know, they were your first year roommate or you became really close in an activity that you do together or whatever, you know what I mean? So, so yeah, I think, yeah. Do you feel like there have been any things that have happened in classes mm-hmm. that change the kind of space you are in mm-hmm. and help you to mm-hmm. move into new um, social groups? Or, mm-hmm. or, or does this kind of work have to happen outside of the classroom um, because yeah. that's the only way it's yeah. going to really stick? Yeah. Um, in terms of my classes, I mean, there have definitely been people through my major and education who I've taken, you know, I've, I've, it's sort of come with time, like taking multiple classes with this person, um, in, in order to feel like I know them or have become more or like closer to them. Um, I think seminars have, are often more the product of like actual meaningful relationships. Um, but I almost feel like I don't know. Sometimes I think classes like expose you to different opinions, but then there's not really that space to like continue it on outside of the classroom. Like I feel like you don't like you could learn about someone in a class or like hear their opinions on something, but then like how do you really sort of bring that with you in a sort of natural way outside of the classroom? Like it has to feel organic too in some sense. You know what I mean? Like it can't just be kind of like okay, now you're all going to go get lunch together, you know what I mean, or whatever. But I do wish that there were more opportunities to get to know people through, like, classroom work and then outside of classroom Mm, work. mm -hmm. And I think Pure Health, I mean, I've become close with people in Pure Health who I would not have otherwise. Um, But that is, you know, obviously an outside of um, academic sort of experience as well. So does that mean... I mean, so if it needs to be organic, mm-hmm. does that mean that it, someone like you needs to go take the initiative to enter those spaces, do you yeah. think? Or yeah, and I, I think, like, for me, okay, so, I, like, if I were to go, I don't know, like, to an AFAM meeting or something like mm-hmm. that, like, I would feel so much more comfortable if I had a friend with me who was a participant in that organization there with me. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like that would be kind of more natural and organic to me. And then they could help introduce me to other Mm -hmm. people who are their friends. So I think in some sense, yeah, I think it has to fall on the individual student um, to be able to like be willing to engage in that. But it would help if they had like an ally there, you know right. what I mean? Like right. one Or even person. someone who's a cultural broker or right. bridge, a right. bridge exactly. for you. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's one of my biggest regrets. Like it, I think it took me four years at Bowdoin to sort of realize that that's what I needed to do in order to get to know people outside of my like friend group who are this pretty much the same as me in terms of like different identities. So, um, I don't know. I wish I had realized that earlier on so that I could have had the time to, um, like, develop meaningful relationships. Right. Yeah. And that's a form of privilege, too, yeah. right? Is having, is not having to develop yeah. uh, relationships with yeah. people who totally are um, unlike you. Right. 
is itself right. a privilege. Right, like I had that choice and mm-hmm. other students wouldn't have that, don't have that choice because they're entering a space where they're like, you know, that they're being forced up against that because that's what like the predominant, dominant culture at Bowdoin is. Um, yeah, so I don't know. And mm-hmm. I also think the college houses are another way to help, like, at a, when students are still kind of younger, to help mm-hmm. um, expose students to difference just through, um, you know, all of these. You have, like, 25 kids who become really close in a house. Um, and I, did, I lived in Quinby my sophomore year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think that I, like, met people who are different than me through that in a lot of ways, but there's room for improvement, too. But then I think, like, who is applying to those houses? Are they really drawing in, like, people who don't belong to the dominant culture? Like, does that person want to be in that house? You know what I mean? Like, if they're just, I don't know. It's hard to, it it becomes, like, I I feel like they should work to make those spaces more inclusive in some Mm -hmm. ways so that students can see themselves being in those houses without feeling like it would be not an experience for them, you know? Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So what do you wish your professors knew about (laughs) you? Um, yeah, I, I've been like struggling with this question because I think my professors, there are some professors who I've become really close with who know a lot about me. And then there are others who don't really know anything about me. Um, like even what my major is. And so I feel like having, I wish that they knew sort of some basic components of my personality like that we've talked about that you know I'm a sociology major and an education minor or teaching minor and like I feel very passionately about both of those issues both of those um areas of study and that you know I I I don't know pure health like that's been really influential in my time at Bowdoin um I think I'd want them to know that I find like school I, like, I really enjoy school. I learn, I enjoy learning, and I enjoy being engaged in the classroom. Um, but then I think there are different professors who I would want, who, like, who, the professors who I feel most close to know more about me. And so more personal experiences, like the fact that I had to deal with a chronic illness at Bowdoin or, mm-hmm. you know, the death of a friend um, or, like, supporting different friends in different ways, so those sort of things are have become really important parts of my personality too. But I don't know. It's interesting, I think, how professors take really different, um, like, personalities in the classroom. Like, they want different things from students. I think some professors really want to engage in that kind of close personal relationship, and then others just want it to be purely kind of academic and more, I don't know, I guess, professional. Um, But, yeah. (laughs) Do you... Are you... It sounds like then you wish that more professors took, maybe you're not going to go deep into mm-hmm, a relationship, mm-hmm. but started with at least yeah. like know some basic facts about it. Yeah, them. I uh-huh. think so. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. It's not asking too much. I don't know. But I, yeah, I think coming to from like a boarding school where I was really, my teachers were also my parents, essentially, like my right. dorm parents too, where they were really responsible for students in a lot of different ways. Like I was used to that kind of um, support. Maybe that's a, pri- a form. That's definitely a form of privilege, though, too. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I think I think that it's sort of necessary in order to like 
build on an academic relationship. It's nice if you have kind of a personal relationship too. Um, yeah. <laughs> How would you recommend, so since you're, now I'm going yeah. to ask you because you're a teaching minor, <laughs> yeah. I'll ask you this question. So imagine sort of one of the more reserved or what you described as like more strictly academic professors mm -hmm. you had. Mm -hmm. How would you propose that that person get to cre know. create an opportunity to get those facts about yeah. you? Yeah. Um, hmm, I'm trying to think. I guess through maybe through like, well, I, I mean like office hours are, that sort of falls on the student, right, to, like, take initiative. But I love when professors, like, maybe this is asking too much. I don't know. But, like, I love when professors invite students, like, into their homes and, like, have meals with them or, um, yeah, like, do things outside of the classroom, sort of, like, teacher in front of talking to the class, student in the desk, um, you know, that very, like, kind of rigid um, space. Like, it's, I think it could, you could get to know a student really easily through, like, a less formal space. So maybe creating opportunities to have that um, together would be really nice. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think. One of my professors in my seminar this year, she brings us food a lot, which <laughs> is really just sort of a kind thing that she does. But I think, yeah, I think it opens up ways. And also, like, you know, those those opportunities outside of the classroom too, like when you go on field trips with your class. I mean, I, I don't do, I don't do labs, um, not because I'm not, I don't do science, but I feel like people become really close through those types of experiences too, where it's again, like outside of the classroom. Um, and even though like the students might complain, like I have to take this Friday morning to go do some field trip, I think it really does lead to feeling closer with your professor and also probably just going back to what we were talking about earlier, like opening up, opening up more opportunities for students to get to know each other, too. Um, so you're not just kind of like, I've been sitting next to this person all semester, but I don't know anything about them, you know, yeah. other than maybe like their grade and the person they hooked up <laughs> with since Bowdoin is so small. Well, <laughs> you know? let's end it there. That is some essential information that maybe we could get beyond. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I don't know how to make it stop. Uh -oh. oh, wait, there we go. I sometimes Oops. feel like I'm not. Oh, is it still recording?